Hey, this is Pastor Keenan. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to our Young Adult Podcast. I know you're gonna be blessed because you are choosing to make listening to God's word a priority today. And if you are blessed by this episode, would you consider sharing it with some of your friends? You never know how God could use it in their lives. Well, hey, here comes the sermon. So lean in because God's getting ready to speak to you. I love you. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to jump over to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go over to chapter 3. And hey, if you did not bring a Bible tonight, please know that there's no shame. You are not missing out. We planned on you being here. We knew that there would be people here who didn't have a Bible. So we brought Bibles for you on the screen. Is that cool? We don't want you to miss a moment. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read one verse, and it's verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3. 17. It should be on on the screens. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Tonight, if you are taking notes, which I highly encourage you to do, I don't, I don't have any Bible to back this up. I just believe note takers get bigger houses in heaven, okay? It's just kind of what I'm hoping, just kind of what I'm praying. My mom and dad made me take rigorous notes as a child. So I'm like, my house is going to be huge, okay? But take notes tonight, because I may be right. I may be right, and you don't want to be living in shack when you could have had some notes, okay? So if you are taking notes, if you are taking notes, I want you to title this message. Are you ready for my title? I want you to title this message, Assumptions are assassins. Assumptions are assassins. And I know that that may sound a little weird, slightly provocative tonight, um, but I'm praying that by the end of this evening, it makes a little bit of sense. And I'm praying that if nothing else makes sense, I'm praying that God's love for you, that God's countenance towards you, that it would begin to make a little bit more sense. That though maybe you walked in here tonight and the face of God was a little fuzzy, I'm praying that God would use this service to kind of redial some things, to focus some things in so that you could see that he, you have an ever perpetual smiling heavenly father. Cool? Assumptions are assassins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you right now. Lord, I thank you that before, Lord, we ever had young adults to begin with, let alone a Thursday night on our agenda that we were planning. Lord, I thank you that this was on your heart. Lord, I thank you that this specific Thursday night was on your heart. And Lord, I pray for each and every single person under the sound of my voice right now, whether they are sitting here currently in the room or they are watching on YouTube or they are listening into a a, a podcast somewhere. Maybe this is months old, but Lord, I pray that right now you would use this message to reach them in their unique time and space. God, I believe you're that good and you're that big. And Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do tonight. Lord, help me serve your people tonight. This is, I don't need just another inspiring talk. I don't need just another wow moment. Lord, we need you and we need you to help us because we cannot help ourselves. And we thank you for it right now. God, put me on like a glove and go to work. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, come on. Amen. 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 Have you ever, have you ever had somebody make an assumption about you and it was way off? Have you ever had that happen? Okay, quiet church is a dead church. You can actually respond if you want to, but only respond, respond appropriately, okay? Respond at the right moments, all right? But have you ever had a moment 
where someone made an assumption about who you were and they could not be more drastically off. Okay, uh, I'm going to be real with you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I got one. Yes. Amen. Okay, I'm going to preach to you tonight. All right. But I've had this happen uh, more times than I would like to admit, okay? And part of it is because I'm a PK, okay? People make assumptions about pastor's kids um, all the time. That's what PK stands for. You see, I got to let you in on the lingo. PK stands for pastor's kid, okay? Um, but I've had a lot of people make a lot of assumptions, but there's one, there's one moment um, that kind of takes the cake, okay? And for those of you who don't know, I have been on staff here at Celebration Church um, for a little over six years now. Can you believe that? We have been doing young adults for six years, okay? Giving the devil a black eye every Thursday, okay? We give him one week to heal up and then we go at it again, you know what I mean? It's been awesome, okay? So we've been doing this for six years, okay? So I remember when I first started, remember when I first started, um, I got on staff as the uh, pastor in training slash janitor, Okay, that was my title, and I told you about that a few weeks ago in a message called Don't Blow It Off. You can check it out on our podcast. Okay, it's pretty good. So I was, the, I was the pastor in training slash janitor, which means I was in charge of cleaning the house of God. Okay, and uh, you want places to be clean, but you really want the house of God oh, to, to be clean. Okay, have some respect for the house of the Lord. All right, so I was in charge of making sure God's house was clean, all right? I was God's maid, okay? I was God's butler, however you want to put it. They called it a janitor. I liked a better name. I wanted butler, okay? I am the butler of the ministry, okay? And so they just called me the butt of the ministry. That's really what, they, that's really what I was. I was the butt, okay? And uh, we all have our parts of the body of Christ. So I'm sitting there. <laughs> Some of you will get that joke later. I'm sitting there, and I'm in charge of cleaning cleaning the church, right? And so I remember this one specific time, um, I was just beginning to kind of like travel and preach. I was 20 years old. I'm 26 now. And I was beginning to travel and preach. And uh, a local a local church um, asked me to do a youth night for them. So uh, this one Saturday, I was up here cleaning our church and I'm going over the church with a fine tooth comb. But I've got a speaking engagement that night, okay? So that is where all my brain is at. I am trying as fast as I can to get things wiped down, to plunge some stuff, because people deal with more than sin here at the church. I'll tell you that. They leave more than sin behind here at the church. And homeboy had to plunge it, okay? So I'm sitting there, and I'm dealing with all this stuff, right? I'm dealing with all this stuff, and I'm going so fast. Well, all of a sudden, I leave. I'm like, that's good enough, you know? And I leave, and I go to the speaking engagement. I preach my guts out, okay? Like two kids got saved, and I'm, it's true. Two souls for the kingdom of God is not a laughable thing. Shame on you. If it was you, it would matter. I'm just kidding. I'm playing. Turn it on you, the conviction. So all of a sudden... Sorry. So all of a sudden, I'm at this speaking engagement. I finished preaching. We're chilling afterwards. I'm hanging out with some guys, and all of a sudden, my phone starts going off. And so I pull my phone out, and to my shock and surprise, it is Officer Mike Hernandez with the San Angelo Police Department, okay? And I was like, oh, snap. Like, what is, what's going on here? So all of a sudden, I'm, I swipe right, and I said, guys, you'll have, to, you'll have to excuse me. I step outside, and I go, what's up? And he says, Kenan. I was like, yeah. He says, somehow, some way, a door 
got left open at the church building. And I need you to go over there right now. I need you to fly like the wind, okay? And I need you to go over there and I need you to meet the police over there and walk them through the building and make sure nothing has been stolen and make sure no one has turned our church into their new mansion, okay? I need you to go now. And so I was like, okay, okay? And I said, peace, guys. So I jump in my car. I fly over to our church building and you have to understand it's dark and it's at night, okay? So I get out and I turn to the parking lot and to my shock and surprise, there's not a cop car in sight. So I'm sitting there like slightly confused. I'm like, was that Burrito or Ashton Kutcher? Like, am I getting punked? Like, you know what I mean? We call him Burrito, Officer Mike Hernandez, that's his nickname. So I'm like, was this, am I getting punked? You know, so I pull in the parking lot. I'm like looking around. I'm like, what's going on here? What is this? So I start sitting there. Well, it's cold outside or cold for Texas. You know what I mean? I'm a Texas boy. So I start getting cold. And so I go inside the church and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting on the cops and no one's coming. So all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go and see if it's actually maybe one of the doors that I left open. Because instantly I knew it was more than likely me, right? I was in a rush. So I'm like, I'm going to go and see if it was me. So I go back to the door. I think it is. And sure enough, like it, it, it was probably, it was me. Okay. So I get back there. And what you have to understand is, is as I'm going back there, the church is completely pitch black. Okay. And I'm telling you right now, if you want your prayer life to go to a new level, start walking around a church at night with the lights off. Okay. And it's not because it's a church and you feel godly. It's because you're scared to death. Okay. Churches feel holy when the lights are on. They feel creepy, okay, when the lights are off, okay? I'm sitting there walking through the church. I'm praying. My knees are knocking. And I'm wandering back here. And all of a sudden, I turn this corner over here in our building. And all of a sudden, I hear voices. And I have to tell you, I'm already creeped out, right? And now all of a sudden... I hear voices. This is getting worse, okay? But something inside of me told me to keep walking. Something inside of me told me to keep approaching the area I was approaching. So I continue to walk until all of a sudden I realize that it's the police. The police are on the outside of the door that I had left open. So I'm like, you can imagine, like, all of a sudden I feel great. I'm like wiping the sweat off my forehead. I'm like, woo, okay, it's just the police. So I walk over there, and I, the problem is I don't say a word. I don't say a word at all. And so I start approaching this door quietly until all of a sudden I hear the, the police officer on his radio go, um, dispatch, the lights just came on. And I'm like, oh, they know I'm here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the guy who's supposed to be here, you know? And so I'm like, oh, cool, all's really good. And so I'm walking up and all of a sudden I get like right by the door and I start doing this in the crack. <laughs> and I'm just smiling through the crack. I still don't say anything, okay? It's, which is a huge mistake, okay? Still don't say anything. I'm sitting there. I'm smiling through this crack, and all of a sudden, the officer and I lock eyes, and next thing I know, he has pulled his gun out and shoved it in my face. I'm not playing around. I wish I could say that this was, this was a story I made up, okay? I am, I'm a little pastor's kid, okay? I'm a pastor at a church now. They don't teach you how to die, okay? They teach you how to live for Jesus, okay? So I'm sitting there staring down a gun, staring down a Glock. He's got it right in my face. All of a sudden, the other officer pulls his weapon out and goes over the commanding officer's shoulder, and he's pointing his gun at me now, too. And so now I'm literally staring down two guns, okay? But I still don't say anything, right? And so I freak out, and I do the universal sign of surrender, and I just go... 
I just shoot my hands up. And I'm just staring at them like, they're going to recognize me any moment, okay? Evidently, I wasn't as famous as I thought I was, okay? Because they did not recognize me. And so I'm sitting there staring at them, smiling. Their guns aren't going away, and I'm freaking out. And so finally, some little voice inside of me, I know it now, it was the Holy Spirit, said, talk! Say something! He's like, you do it for a living! Talk! And so I was like, okay. So all of a sudden I go, oh, I'm the guy, Officer Hernandez said! I'm the guy, I'm supposed to be here! I have a key! Okay, I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm the guy you're waiting on! And would you believe that all of a sudden, as soon as I let them know who I was, their guns went away, they began to chuckle, they began to laugh, and the officer that had been on the radio got back on, and he said, dispatch, all's good. It was just the guy with the key. It was just the guy with the key. And here's the reason I tell you that story tonight, is I was Kenan Clark, pastor Kenan Clark, staff member, key carrier to this building, the whole time through that whole scenario, from the moment I pulled up to the church to the moment I walked back there to the moment their gun went in my face till finally, thank you, Jesus, their gun went away. I was always me. But you have to understand, it wasn't until they realized who I was that they were able to interact with me based on who I really was, not based on an assumption. And I'm here to tell you tonight, there are some of you who walked in here and wandered in here and you have some nasty assumptions about the character of God. There are some of you, you have been dealing with some false assumptions about who, the, who, who God actually is. And I'm here to tell you tonight, your assumptions of who God is will keep you from experiencing who he really is. Your assumptions about God can keep you putting arm's distance Keep you, keep you putting barriers, keep you putting blockades, keep you putting distance between you and the God. Listen, here we go. You are actually waiting on. I was the guy they were waiting on. And they put a gun in my face. How many of you actually have a stiff arm to the one you're waiting on? I think there are some of you who have been stiff arming, who have been keeping distance between you and the one you are actually waiting waiting on. Our assumptions, listen to me, I think the key, the number one thing the enemy wants to use in order to assassinate your relationship with God is your assumptions about him. All the enemy has to do is get you to some well-meaning church as a child and you start picking up assumptions left and right. Some of you, you got your assumptions from the church. You got your assumptions from well-meaning people. Some of you, like me, it wasn't even that your church preached the wrong stuff. It was just that they just kind of popped in your head and you believed it. You ever been there? Believe things about God and not really know why you believe that about him, but you do? The enemy would love nothing more than to assassinate your relationship with God through your false assumptions of who he is. If you don't know who God actually is, you won't interact with him according to who he actually is. And this is why I started tonight with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, because it says this, where the spirit of the Lord is. And I don't know if there's a name that we use for God that we have more false assumptions of than that word right there, Lord. Lord, 
what it means to have a Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when people lord over me. We live in a generation that doesn't want to be told the difference between right and wrong. And on some level, I applaud that. Because there have been plenty of things that we've called right that have been really wrong for a really long time. And I think it's time that we get a little rebellion in us and find what's really the truth. But the problem is, we've begun to rebel against truth altogether. We've begun to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't like it when people lord over us and we get this image, we get this feeling, we have these preconceived notions and assumptions about what it means to have a Lord. But I want you to notice what Paul said here in 2 Corinthians. He said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom. I don't know about you, but that is a paradox to me. Where there's a Lord, there's actually more freedom. I thought that if there was a Lord, you're limited. I thought thought that if there was a Lord, there's a bunch of little cherry-picked sins that really piss him off. And if you do one of those, he just might wipe you off the face of the planet. That's what I assumed for a really long time. I'm so grateful God proved me up. I'm so grateful he proved me wrong. I'm so grateful he showed me otherwise. My assumptions kept me from real freedom. Because here's the reason we don't like having a Lord. All the other people we gave lordship to abused us. And now, because of every other person who who abused the lordship you gave them in your life, you are now gun shy to ever give lordship out again. Because you've been used and abused, you think everybody has false motives. You think everybody has a hidden agenda. You think everybody's doing all bait and switch on you. You think everything's just smoke and mirrors. But what I want you to understand tonight, listen to me, don't miss this, is God's motives to love you are completely pure. God's motives in loving you could not be more pure. And listen to me, the reason you don't trust God's hand is because you don't know his heart. The reason you don't trust God's hand, when all of a sudden the hand of God begins to put things, put his finger on things in your life and say, hey, actually, that's not you. Hey, that thing right there, that's beneath you. Hey, that thing right there, I didn't actually call you to that. Hey, that thing right there, yeah, I'm never going to bless that. Hey, that thing right there, actually, I want you to lay that down. Hey, that thing right there, actually, I want you to pick that up. The reason we don't trust his hand is because we don't know his heart. And we think he's just like every, everybody else. You think he's just like your ex-boyfriend who was super nice right at first. He whined and dined, but he ended up beating and cheating. That's what we think. God puts his best foot forward at first, but if you stick around, you'll see a different side real quick. I'm here to tell you God's motives could not be more pure because God could not be more pure. I want to take you to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's go there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I'll prove it to you. It says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So why did Christ set us free? For freedom. That's what that means. It's saying his motivation in setting you free wasn't so that he could now have leverage over you. Like, ha ha, you owe me one. It wasn't for leverage. It wasn't so one day he could kind of bring it back up and manipulate you. 
So when all of a sudden you begin to serve other things, you begin to go a a route that is beneath you, a a route that he doesn't want you to go, he can then dangle the fact that he sets you free over your head. Listen to me, his motivation in setting you free was he wanted you free. That's how pure his motives are. You were his motivation. It wasn't so that all of a sudden he could pluck you out of a cage called sin and throw you into a cage called religion. There are no cages in Christ. He wanted you free, and that was his motivation. I'm telling you tonight, you can trust God's heart because his motives, you're his motive. Your freedom is his motive. Anything the Lord asks you to do, it's for your benefit, not his. You have to understand, he's not self-serving. You're not just some little pawn in his little scheme of how to get how to get the name brand of Christianity a little bit further. And then once he's milked you for every little talent you have, and once he's milked you for every little year that you have left, he'll throw you aside and discard you. No, he wants to use you because he enjoys being with you. Man, his motivation was to set you free. His heart is pure in everything that he does. I want to take you, we're talking about this idea of, of lordship, right? Talking about this idea that Jesus is Lord, okay? That's, Kanye didn't make that up. That's always been the truth, okay? Jesus is Lord. And I think if we're really going to wrap our minds around what a Lord is, we need to figure out what is the definition, biblically, of a Lord. And uh, real quickly, I did the studying for you, so I'm not going to make you look it up, okay? But here in this specific verse that we're looking at, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, that word Lord is the word Kurios, kurios. And what kurios means, it actually has two different definitions, but they go hand in hand. And the problem is you and I stop at the first one. Kurios, Lord, has two definitions. The first one is what you would think when you think of a Lord, supreme in authority. That's what kurios means. It means supreme, the top, the boss in authority. And that right there is what most of us think about when we think of a Lord, that he's supreme in authority. He's a dictator. He's a bully. He wants you to do what he wants you to do. And if you don't do it, you're going to get a part of him you've never seen before. But the problem is, there's more to the definition than that. Kurios is deeper than, a, than supreme authority. And I want you to see the second definition because this is what the world needs to hear right here. It's not just supreme in authority. It also means this. Kurios, Lord, means the one to whom I belong. The one to whom I belong. I don't know about you. I know that for a long time you thought to have a, to have a Lord admit that he was just supreme in authority, that he gets to boss you around, that he gets to call the shots. Yes, he gets to call the shots. But the reason we trust him with the shots is because he's the one we belong to. And I'm telling you, until you get it deep down in your heart that before you ever knew you belonged to him and way before you behaved like you belonged to him, you belong to him. You belong to him. I'm here to tell you tonight, whether you've acknowledged it or not, you belong to God. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I don't know if you've acknowledged it yet, but you belong. Woo! You belong to God. You don't belong because you believe. You don't belong just because you behave. You don't belong just because you're a good little boy. He made a seat for you at the table when that was the last place you'd ever want to sit. 
Not when you thought you couldn't sit there, when you didn't want to sit there. I'm telling you, you belong. And it's when we real listen to me, listen to me, don't miss this. This is the this is the hinge right here. If you if you if you miss the fact that you belong, you'll never trust his supreme authority. You'll never trust him. That's why the world doesn't want anything to do with our God. It's because religion only sold them half the truth. He's supreme in authority. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He didn't say he would make them confess, it says they'll willfully do it because they know who they belong to. They know who they belong to. And I'm telling you, when you know that you belong, trusting his supreme authority becomes second nature. It becomes muscle memory. It's the knee-jerk reaction. You got to know that you belong. And here's the problem. You can belong all day long, but if you don't believe it, you won't live like it. You can belong all day long. Can I tell you right now? The entire young adult demographic of San Angelo belongs at YA. Here's the problem. They don't know it. You know why they're not here? It's not because we don't want them. It's not because we won't make space for them. It's not because we want, we're not going to love on them. It's not because they don't have a future and a hope from God. It's because they don't know it. You can't live in something you don't know. You can belong all day long, but it's not until you know it and believe it that you can begin to live in it. I'm preaching myself happy tonight. Oh, man, I'm telling you. But listen to me. This is where I want to go for the, the next couple seconds. Jesus, listen to me. Don't miss this, please. Jesus cannot be something to you that you don't believe he is. Jesus can't be something to you you don't believe he is. You've got to believe him in order to receive him. Jesus has always been salvation, but it's not until you believe he's salvation that you receive the salvation he's always been. Jesus has always been a healer, but it's not until you believe he's a healer that all of a sudden you begin to receive the healing he's always given, wanted to give. Jesus has always been a provider, but it's not until you believe he's your provision that you begin to receive the provision that he wants to give you. Jesus cannot be something to you that you don't believe he really is. And here's the problem. You and I, <laughs> you and I are not the first people to deal with this. We're not. We are not the first people to think that we've kind of got God figured out and assume things about him and then end up missing out on what he has for us. In fact, Mark chapter six tells us a, very, a story where this happened. Mark chapter six, we're gonna turn there in a moment, but Jesus tells a story that all of a sudden, He's going to his hometown. Jesus is rolling into his hometown and he gets there and he, he's pumped. He's deliberately gone there, you have to understand. And he gets in town and all of a sudden Scuttlebutt begins to go around the town that Jesus is back, our, our boy is back. And they, he goes into some synagogues and he's preaching and teaching. And all of a sudden people begin to gather and they hear what he's doing. And this is what the locals have to say about Jesus. Matt, uh, Mark chapter six, verse three says this. They said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And listen to this. They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there. 
Listen to this. He could do no mighty work there. It doesn't say he wouldn't do no mighty work there. That's what you and I would have done. Had we gone to our hometown and we were Jesus, like we're the son of the son of God, all right? And I roll into my hometown, the word's kind of gotten around, like I got this healing ministry, got this little thing, turned some water to wine, opened a blind eye, a withered hand, kind of do some stuff, okay? Did you see my Instagram, okay? And we roll in and people start to throw shade. You know what we do? I never wanted to, never wanted any of that anyway. You know what? That's it. When I really hit the big time, you're the last person that's getting a slice of the pie. That's how we would act. It doesn't say that in, out of spite, Jesus goes, well, I won't do anything for you. No, no, no. He was not what limited what they got. They were. They limited what Jesus could do for them. Can I tell you tonight, maybe what's holding your relationship with God back isn't God. Maybe it's you. And I do not say that to heap any sort of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. Jesus came to the people he knew would reject him. You have to understand, Jesus knew this would go down this way. He's God. Nothing's caught him by surprise. He knew it would happen. And he went anyway. Maybe what's holding things up isn't the fact that Jesus won't. It's the fact that you don't believe he can. You don't believe he can. Jesus can't be something for you that you don't actually believe he is. And I'm telling you, what I'm trying to say is you can't get grandfathered into the kingdom of God. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He doesn't have grandchildren. You don't get in because your parents are his kid. You don't get to get into heaven. You don't get to get on on the God life because your parents served him. I'm here to tell you, eventually, you've got to come to the foot of the cross yourself and decide, you know what? As for me and my house, I know I live in a single apartment, but as for me and this house, I will serve the Lord. He is my Lord. I'm putting my faith in him. Come on, there's some things God wants to release in your life and you won't let him. And I feel like I'm on assignment tonight to scream to you, let him. Let him be everything he is. Stop assuming he doesn't have time for you. Stop saying God's no for him. Let God speak for himself. He's a big boy. Some of you, you're already saying God's no for him like he wouldn't have the time for me. Maybe he would if you'd ask. Maybe he would. We can limit what Jesus is able to do in our lives. Because the truth is this, what it boils down to is who Jesus is to you is what makes the difference for you. Who Jesus is to you is what makes the difference to you. This is what I'm trying to say. I can only preach it to you. I cannot believe it for you. I wish so badly I could crawl up in your skin and believe this for you. I could only believe it for me. Nobody else can believe it for you. People can share it. People can tell it. People can, can do it until they're blue in the face. But only you can believe it's true for you. And who Jesus is to you is what makes the difference for you. I want to ask you tonight, who is he to you? Who is he to you?
I was tempted to not even ask that question because I felt it was so elementary. I felt, you know, we live in the Bible Belt. It's so easy. But here's the thing I found is, yeah, Jesus may not be our hometown carpenter son, but we can easily begin to relegate him to just our hometown godson. He's just the hometown godson. Yeah, I've heard about him. Yeah, I know who he is. The alarm's going off. Just one of those things, you just got to acknowledge it and move on. But what I want to ask tonight, what I really, and listen to me, I don't want this to be a moment in the, in, in, in the sermon that you just kind of gloss over and move on. Who is Jesus to you? Is he enough? Who is he? We see this here in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Some of you are extremely familiar with this passage of scripture. And all of a sudden, Jesus is sitting there and they enter into this place and they're in Caesarea Philippi and they're chilling there. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to ask his disciples. He says, hey, um, I got a question. And here's the thing. You need, to, you need to perk up when Jesus starts asking questions. Jesus is the answer. And he starts asking a question. Something crazy is about to happen when the answer starts asking the questions. All of a sudden, Jesus pipes up and he asks his disciples, he says, hey, um, who, do people, who do people say I am? And they said, you know, some people believe you're John the Baptist. Other people, they're saying you're Elijah, even some Jeremiah or one of the many, one of the many prophets. And Jesus says, okay. He said, let me ask you another question. And watch what he says. He says this, but what about you? I get that that's what they all believe about me. I get, I get that's what they assume about me. But they've only seen my hand. You've spent three years with me. You've seen my heart. What are you? Who do you? Who do you say I am? And all of a sudden, I love it. Loud mouth Peter pipes up. The guy who gets it wrong over and over and over. Like he's constantly having to stick his foot in his mouth. He must love the taste of sandal, okay? I don't know what his deal is, okay? But Peter pipes up and he says, I think I know. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, "Whoo! Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Notice what happened. Notice what happened. Peter got Jesus, who Jesus was right. And on the other side of getting who he was right, got blessed. He says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And Jesus goes, blessed are you. Can I tell you right now, when you get who Jesus is right, he doesn't leave blessed. You do. You do. You leave blessed. And notice what Jesus says. Can we throw it back up? He says this. He says, and I say that you are Peter. All of a sudden, Jesus, he gets who Jesus is right, and Jesus begins to tell him who he is. He says, and you know what? I say you're Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and it's going to be so great that not even the gates of Hades or hell will be able to overcome it. He gets who Jesus is right, and guess what? Jesus begins to tell him who he is. Once you get who Jesus is right, Jesus then has the legal authority to begin to tell you who he is. And listen, some of you are wondering, well, why does Jesus have to do it that way? 
Like, why can't he just tell me who I am? And if he gets it right, I'll believe he's God. <laughs> it be pretty, pretty good. I'll know he's a prophet. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's not until you, listen, remember, Lord means supreme in authority. It's not until you believe he holds supreme authority that you're going to take what he says seriously. You've got to get his supreme authority right before you even have the bandwidth to receive from him who you are. Because all of a sudden, when you know he holds the, the highest authority, he, he doesn't have anyone fact-checking him. He doesn't report to anyone. He has no rival. He has no equal. If he says it, it's law. Until you get to that point, you won't believe what he has to say about you. So why would he waste his breath? You won't even believe it. But all of a sudden, I'm telling you right now, when you get your head out of your past and you begin to realize that he is the alpha, the omega, he's the beginning and the end, he's got supreme authority and he's also the one you belong to, all of a sudden he says, yeah, and I'm gonna tell you who you are, son. You're not, you're not meant for the bottom of the gutter. You're not meant for just a run of the mill. You weren't even built for the nine to five. I'm gonna use your life to wow the world. I love that he says this. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. I think he threw his dad in there so he knew I know exactly who I'm talking to. Don't you dare think I think something wrong about you. Don't you dare think that I thought you were something that you're not. I know your daddy and your daddy's daddy and your daddy's daddy. I know what neck of the woods you come from. I know it's only trailer trash, but I'm going to use the trash of this world to reveal the treasures of heaven. Come on. Y'all got me preaching. I'm telling you, when you get who Jesus is right, all of a sudden, Jesus now has the right to tell you who you are. And here's the thing. This is where I wind down. Cody, if you want to come play, let's not, let's not cheer. Let's not cheer. Let's not break the moment. He's just a man. Cody, if you'd come play. He's a very good-looking man. I can say that I'm secure in my masculinity. And my marriage. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is where I want to wind down. And this is, where, this is what has been wrecking me today. Listen to me. This is what's been wrecking me. I preached this whole sermon to get to this part. It's fun to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus when he's in front of your friends and he's telling you who you are. It's fun. Like, guys, listen to him. <laughs> he says, I'm the rock, man. He says he's going to build my church on me. I didn't even think he could build a fishing business on me, and he's going to try and build a church through me. It's fun when he's telling you who you are and you have something to be proud of. But here's the thing. He's still Lord in all the other moments, too. So what happens when it's not that mountaintop experience and Jesus is speaking who you are and he's affirming you in front of all the people who thought you were just a joke, who thought there wasn't a hand of God on you? What happens in the meantime? What happens on a random Tuesday when you think you know how this day's going to go? Because the truth is he's still Lord. We still need his lordship even when it doesn't seem like we do. Because here's the problem, when you only lean on the lordship of Jesus, when it's evident that you need it, oh man. Then I don't know if he's really Lord. If you only 
lean on the Lordship of Jesus in certain situations, then guess what? His Lordship is now situational. And Jesus doesn't want to be a situational Lord. He doesn't want it to be that in the moments where you're really getting your, your, your face rubbed in it, the enemy is coming after you, or in the moments when you feel great, he's Lord. Even on those mundane Mondays, you still need a Lord. Jesus' Lordship can't become situational. And there's a passage of scripture, this is literally where I'm done. There's a passage of scripture in Mark chapter four. We'll go there in just a moment. But Mark chapter four is a very famous passage of scripture. I'm sure many of you know it. Many of you have gone here and man, I was thinking about this and I just wanna read it to you and I wanna point something out to you. Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41 says this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, him, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Just as he was. I feel like preaching that for a second. Just as he was. They took Jesus just as he was. Not how they'd like him to be. Not how they were told he was by some dead old preacher who never even actually met him. They took him as he was. No assumptions. Woo, I feel, I'm not going to preach it. Just as he was. And the other boats were with him. Get this. And a great storm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, being Jesus, was asleep in the stern. The stern is the back of the boat. And he's asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose and he rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this? Now, for those of you who have grown up in the church, this is no doubt a familiar passage. Jesus calming the storm. And I was reading over this, and I feel like I've probably heard this preached every single way it could possibly be preached so far. I was reading over this, and you have to understand, you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be meditating on scriptures. And so this is what I was doing. I wasn't planning on preaching this, and I was meditating on this passage, and I was thinking about the storm. I was thinking about the disciples. And all of a sudden, God began to talk to me. Now, when I say that, listen to me, I just want to be clear. I don't mean an audible voice came to me, okay? None of this conversation I'm about to tell you about happened like out loud, okay? But if it did happen out loud, this is what it would have sounded like, okay? I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about this passage and God comes to me and he says, you know what their problem was? Don't miss this. You know what their problem was? I said, yeah, I know what their problem was. I said, they didn't stand up. And they didn't use your authority to rebuke the wind and the waves themselves. That's their problem. And he's like, well, I guess, yeah. It's one of their problems. He said, I'm talking about the problem before that. I was like, there was a problem before that? I'm pretty sure the storm is the problem, Jesus. He's talking to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden he said, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the problem before the storm showed up. And all of a sudden he told me this. He said, they cared a lot where Jesus was during the storm. And they didn't care where he was at before the storm showed up. He said, had they taken Jesus' cue 
to walk to the back of the boat and take a nap with him, they'd have slept through the storm too. The problem was there wasn't a storm. So all of a sudden, Jesus begins to go down and lay at the back of the boat. Sunny, it's calm, and they don't see a need to follow him. Jesus, stuff needs to be taken care of. We're rowing. We're sailing. You know what, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, you take a nap. We got it from here. So they begin to row and they begin to sail. Instead of taking a cue that if Jesus says it's time to take a nap, it's, I guess it's time to take a nap. Like, I don't get it. The sun's out. It's not dark. I'm really not that tired. But if Jesus says it's time to lay down, I guess, guys, we're taking a break. I guess it's time to lay down. They didn't care what Jesus was doing in the sunshine. So they got caught up in a storm. I feel this so strong in my heart tonight that there's somebody in here. The reason you are in the storm you're in is because you took your eyes off him before the storm showed up. I'm telling you right now, Jesus' lordship cannot be situational. Jesus does everything on purpose. And if he goes to the back of a boat to take a nap, you can bet your bottom dollar that is what ought to be happening. Jesus said this, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't go anywhere unless the Father sends me. And so you can bet your bottom dollar if he's laying at the back of the boat, God says, it's time to take a nap. I'm telling you right now, there are some of you Jesus told you to sleep a long time ago. And because you were like, no, Jesus, you, I got it from here. We got it. You found yourself in a storm because you refused to lay down before it showed up. There are some storms you're called to sleep through, but you may have to go to sleep before they come. If you're trying to go to sleep during a storm, that's hard. If Jesus is saying, hey, it's time to go to sleep, and you're like, why? It's a great day. The birds are chirping. The sun's out. I'm getting some vitamin D. Jesus says, I need you to trust me. Lay down and go to sleep right now, son. Lay down and go to sleep. We cannot allow Jesus' lordship to become situational. And that's what we do. We pick and choose situations where we feel we need it. Can I just tell you, you always need it. There's not a waking moment of your life where you don't need to be led by the Spirit. There's not a, a normal Tuesday that you think, yeah, I know how this is going to go. I'm going to start my day with a cup of coffee. I'm going to have another one at 10 o'clock. I'm going to go to lunch with my girlfriend at 12. I'm going to hit a few classes in the afternoon. At 6 o'clock, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go home and watch some of the office, and then I'm going to crash. And God says, you think that's how it's going to go, but I know. I know how it's going to go. The assumptions we make about our seemingly insignificant days can assassinate us the quickest. And I just feel so compelled. This is what Galatians, let me just say this. Galatians chapter five, verse, uh, I believe it's 16, says this. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice what it doesn't say. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say walk by the spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say, hey, try to say yes to Jesus, but keep saying no to the enemy. No, it says, say yes to the spirit and you won't have to say no to the enemy. Some of you, the reason you keep having to go and rebuke storms is because you won't say yes when the before the storm shows up. When Jesus said, hey, you want to take a nap? Yes, my answer is yes. 
I'm here to tell you tonight, a yes to Jesus is a no to the enemy. A yes to Jesus is a no to the, the enemy. You know the best way to rebuke the devil? Start praising God. The best way to rebuke the devil, the three words that shut the devil up the quickest are thank you, Jesus. My yes to Jesus is a no to the enemy. I don't have time for you, sir. You're not on my agenda. In fact, get behind me, Satan. I'm saying yes. His lordship can't be situational. When you know you need it and when you're ignorant of why you would need it, you need it. And right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give a moment of privacy and concentration. I appreciate you giving me your time tonight. But I feel in my heart that there's some people in here, you would say, Keenan, that's me. I've allowed Jesus to become a situational Lord in my life rather than the supreme authority he's supposed to be. And if you were in here tonight and you'd say, Kenan, I've never made Jesus the Lord or Savior of my life, and I need to right now. Or you'd say, Kenan, I'm like that disciple. Jesus has been in my boat, but I haven't been listening to him. Just because the Lord is in your ship doesn't mean you're following his lordship. And you'd say, Kenan, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I have not been including God. I have not been following his lordship like I should and I'm ready to say yes again I'm tired of saying no to the enemy I'm tired of, re of rebuking storms and I'm ready to say yes to the loving hand of God tonight if that's you when I count to three I'd just like you to shoot your hand up one God loves you two now's your moment three come on hands going up hands going up hands going up all over this room praise God leave it up and I'm gonna pray for you leave it up I'm gonna pray for you heavenly father Lord I just thank you for that hand because that hand represents a heart that has just been yielded to you and Lord I thank you right now that you are faithful to complete what you have started in them Lord I thank you that right now it is no longer going to be on a situational basis Lord I thank you that they feel your lordship every waking moment but that whether they go to sleep or they're awake whether they're in a storm or they're on a glassy sea Lord I thank you that they're saying what would you like to do what would you like me to do I belong to you and you hold supreme authority. And Lord, I thank you for it right now. Every hand raised to heaven. Lord, I just thank you right now. I call them blessed under the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on. Let's say yes to Jesus tonight. Come on.